It's great. I'm keen to get into the Word tonight. My name's Todd. I'm also keen for Grassy McGrass Grass Church uh, next week, so be here for that. Uh, but let's pray uh, before we come to God's Word. Heavenly Father, we praise you because you created all things, including us. And we thank you for speaking to us, relating to us, and speaking to us so clearly in your Son, which we can hear every day as we open your word. Please help us tonight to fix our thoughts on Jesus uh, through your word and by your spirit. And we pray all this in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, what do we do when our experiences in the world cause us to doubt God's promises? That's an important question for the Christian to ask because we live in a messed up world. Pandemics, natural disasters, climate change, health crises, mental health, threat of war, economic uncertainty, murder, rape, human trafficking, the list goes on. And the problems don't stop at the threshold of God's household, his people, his church. They come on in. There's divisions over this and that. People get hurt. COVID-19 and the vaccinations, the latest one to do the sweep. Domestic violence and abuse. And across the globe, as we've just heard, Steve prayed about it, God's people are being imprisoned, killed for being Christians. And you're telling me that God is powerfully in control of all things? Wouldn't it be more accurate if we said the world is spinning out of control? And at a personal level too, I don't know which one of these fits you, but I've lost my job. Happening for a lot of people at the moment. I'll never find someone to settle down with. My marriage is on the rocks, especially since lockdown. Or we can't fall pregnant. Or the loss of a child. Devastating. And you're telling me that God loves me and has my best at heart. There are moments in life uh, where these experiences are so intense that these kinds of questions, they come alive to us like a weed in springtime and they shake us up, they choke us out, they cause us to doubt God's promises. But there are also hundreds, thousands of little moments every day where these questions just tick, 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 tick in the back of our minds until one day, I don't know why I believe what I believe anymore. It's so far from what I experience, the truth of what I experience. And so what do we do when our experiences in this world cause us to doubt God's promises? It's a question worth asking, and it's a question that the author or the preacher of Hebrews uh, raises for his audience. Now, our best bet at when this sermon and letter was preached or written is around 60 AD. That's less than 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. So Christians are the new kids on the block and they are getting persecuted left, right and centre by different groups. In fact, in 64 AD, possibly the year that this was preached or written, the emperor of Rome at the time, Nero, committed a great crime against the Roman city. He lit a fire and it took out half the city, burned it down. And what did he do? He pointed his finger at the Christians, because no one liked them. Easy target. Blamed them for the inferno. And the widespread 
persecution of Christians ensued for like the next 300 years, the better part of 300 years. It just got worse and worse and worse. I went out to a dinner party last night and as we sat and ate and enjoyed some conversation, you know, slowly re-emerging into the social life, there was a fire pit crackling away in the background and it was kind of a nice smell, uh, a little bit of warmth, a little bit of light. Nero, the emperor, famously and disgustingly persecuted the Christians of his time by lighting up his garden parties with burning Christians, burning them alive. That is the world into which this preacher says things like, the sun is sustaining all things by his powerful word. Or your throne, O God, in 1 verse 8, will last forever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. What? You see, the preacher of Hebrews has something profound to say about what we should do when our experiences don't seem to match and cause us to doubt God's promises. When the world around us isn't what it should be. And the preacher says this, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Come to chapter 3 verse 1 because this is where this whole chapter is pushing towards. Chapter 3 verse 1, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. That's where we're headed tonight. And if you find yourself being overrun with doubts, listen carefully. The fact of the gospel of Jesus Christ is always our solid hope of a glorious future. Because 2,000 years ago, a man walked this earth and his death changed everything for us. So friends, in, in one sense, there's, there's nothing new tonight. But it is profound. If we can wake up every day and fix our eyes on Jesus every day, we will be given the keys to eternal life and a glorious future. So the passage, if you've read this passage that was read or studied it in small groups this week, you'll know that it's a bit of a tough cookie to crack. That's because the preacher of Hebrews, he's transitioning his argument. It's like a Venn diagram of two circles and they're coming together. This is the overlap. He's got something about what he's just said from last week and he's setting us up and bringing in something new for what he's going to say next week, right? So let me remind us of chapter one. In chapter 1, the preacher comes charging out of the gates and says, Jesus is superior to angels, so listen to him. And that message was necessary for the people to hear because they were getting caught up on an old message, an, an old way of salvation, a salvation that was before Jesus that was handed by angels to Moses, the old covenant way of relating to God. And so he bolsters his argument and gives a truckload of evidence that Jesus is greater than angels. So listen to him. And in the first six verses, so you can just skim and remind yourself of chapter one. First six verses, Jesus is greater than the angels because of his family ties. Jesus is God's son. God is his father. He is divine. He is to be worshipped. Not so for the angels. The next two verses, seven to nine, Jesus is greater than the angels because they are changing and he is unchanging in eternity. Next two verses, 10 to 12. Jesus is greater than the angels because they are creature. They've been created. And he is creator. And then the last two verses, we're going to slow down on this one because 
This is the thought that the preacher of Hebrew wants to unpack further for us tonight. And he says this, Jesus is superior to angels because he is the ruler over everything, all things. Check it out in verse 13 and 14. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? The preacher here, he quotes Psalm 110, a psalm about Jesus' absolute rule over everything as God's king. Jesus sits there. Jesus sits at God's right hand, not an angel. An angel's never been asked to sit there. And in contrast, the angels are just ministering spirits. They're they're servants. Have a look, verse 14. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who inherit salvation? Notice who they're serving. Those who will inherit salvation. Who are they? That's us. That's human beings. Now let's pause here for a moment. Jesus rules everything, verse 13. Angels serve humans, verse 14. But why does Jesus rule over all things? Why is that? Now the obvious answer from chapter 1 is because he's God. But there's an even more profound truth being explained here. And here it is. Jesus rules over all things because... He is human. Yeah, that's bizarre, but yes, you heard me right. Come with me, leave a little bookmark or a finger or whatever you've got. Come back to Genesis chapter 1. Going to have to get used to flicking around for next week when we're back together. Genesis 1 verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Why? So that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill and subdue. Subdue the earth, subdue the earth. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. This is what God made mankind to be in his image, to be his representatives on earth, to rule all created things under God on his behalf. Now come back to Hebrews 2, the verses which we read tonight. Verse 5, and if you have an NIV uh, and you've got a pen handy, you can write the word for or because right in front of verse 5 because it's going to explain what we've just looked at in verses 13 and 14 of chapter, uh, chapter 1, Psalm 110. It's explaining that. And if you've got an ESV, you win this time because it's already there. Now, remember, Jesus rules all things, not angels. Because, verse 5, because it is not to angels that God subjected the world to come about which we're speaking. There's a world now, and just like there's a world now, there's going to be a world to come, says the preacher. And God has chosen not to subject that world to angels. But the question comes, well, who? Who is he subjecting the world to come? The author explains, but, verse 6, there is a place where someone has testified, what is mankind that you're mindful of them? a son of man that you care for him. 
You made them a little lower than angels, but you crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. That quote is from Psalm 8. It's a psalm which reflects on the place of mankind in God's world. Now, if you remember when Max read it or if you chase it up later, the psalmist, he he goes outside uh, on a starry night, no clouds around. And I don't know if you've ever done that. You've been far enough away from the city, away from the lights, away from pollution, and you look up, and he does that. And he is captured by the vastness of what he sees, what God has created. We sung about it before. And he thinks to himself, no way. All of this massive expanse laid out on this glorious tapestry, screaming out God's glory. And yet, God's attention, God's care is directed towards me, mankind, a human. And more than this, you've crowned me, humanity, with glory and honor and made us rulers over everything. What? But yes, it's true. God is mindful of us. He is concerned for us. You see, our planet is not just another rock floating in space among many other trillions. And our race is not just a random collection of evolutionary events that have elevated us to the top of the food chain. No, no, no. Our rock, this earth, is where the human race was created and purposefully placed upon it. A humanity which Genesis 1 showed us was made in God's image, as the psalmist says, crowned with glory and honor. A humanity who God speaks to in Genesis and says, I want you to rule on my behalf, rule over everything. You put everything under their feet, as the psalmist says. The preacher of Hebrews underlines this for us in verse 8. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Such is the place of humanity in God's world. They are God's rulers. And it's to this humanity that God subjected this world. And it's to this same humanity that we're being told that God will subject the world to come. Not to angels. So let's return to the question, why does Jesus rule over all things? As the preacher charges through chapter 1, he lets us assume that Psalm 110 is all about the God-man, the God-King, Jesus, who rules. And it is. But when he brings Psalm 8 and the imagery of Genesis 1 alongside Psalm 110, and actually uses Psalm 8, to explain Psalm 110, that's that because at the beginning of verse 5, he actually shows us and teaches that Psalm 110 is in fact about the God-man, the human king, Jesus, who rules. Jesus is not only greater than angels because he's God and sustains all things, chapter 1, he's also greater than the angels because he's human. And in his humanity, he rules over all created things, including the angels. Wow. There are some significant implications from this truth. First, don't get carried away with angels. They aren't all that. 
Now consider how revolutionary this message would have been at the time in ancient Greece, a world where there was a God for everything. Human beings with their play toys, humans lived in fear of the gods, the angelic beings that were over them. Now, this might seem a little bit bizarre to us today. How do, we, how do we apply this? How do we make sense of this? I haven't seen any angels before. It doesn't seem like a problem for me. But consider how they were tempted to drift away from Jesus. It was a temptation to take an angel's message, something that they saw superior to Jesus, that message, over and above Jesus' message. That's salvation. Friends, for us, it's the exact same. There is no one superior to jesus there is no message superior to jesus's jesus the god man has brought mankind a message of salvation for them do not neglect this salvation it is for us as true as it is for them don't give up on jesus message for any other message muhammad 600 years after jesus He's not a new prophet with new answers and a new word from God. Joseph Smith hasn't uncovered the final truth of the Christian religion. In Galatians 1, Paul says, even if an angel comes and preaches something contrary to the gospel that I've handed over to you, throw it back in their face. Consider them cursed. Second, mankind is significant. Now We've already been here. I don't know if you felt uncomfortable uh, this is EV Church, and the EV, I don't know if you know this, stands for evangelical. And as evangelicals, Bible-believing Christians, we, we go on a, a lot of, about a lot of things to do with humanity, and this isn't often one of them. Mankind is significant. We, we're quite ready to say, yeah, but, and we'll come to that, but pause here for a second. Mankind is the most significant creature in all of creation. If there is more life out there somewhere in the universe, mankind's more significant. Even if angels were to show up, uh, they would terrify us and blow our minds, right? Mankind's more significant. That feeling that you have deep down that uh, we're meant for something greater, that's justified because mankind is meant for something greater, to rule and to rule the world to come. But consider this, what is the basis of mankind's significance? Now, the evolutionary scientists would say superior genes. Uh, we're owed honour because among the created order, we've just got the lottery right. We've risen to the top through natural selection. And what's the result of that way of thinking? Pride, right? Puffed up, feeling pretty good on top of the food chain. Survival of the fittest continues. Push down the weak. Let's keep going with the strong. In contrast, the Bible says our significance is a gift, a gift from God. The psalmist gets it. He's looking around thinking, Lord, I'm seeing a lot of things more glorious than me. Your glory is far beyond my own. But you have put me here. You have given me my significance. You see, we owe all of our significance to God's grace. He made us in his image. He gave us the responsibility to rule. And the result of this way of thinking, the opposite of pride. 
humility, a right view of ourselves in view of God's grandeur, a right view of ourselves as a recipient of all things from the hand of God, given to us, not snatched, not taken, given. Now, all that means that our significance isn't fought for. It isn't bought by career success, by money, by status, by possessions or good genes. No. God gives mankind their significance. It's a gift. Which means there is no significance for the human race outside of God's plans and purposes. Without God, Romans 3 tells us, we become worthless. And so, come to God. Don't be worthless. Find your worth in God, in what he has given and made us to be, and praise him for that. That's where the psalm starts and finishes. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Notice that it's not mankind, how majestic are we in all the earth. Have the same attitude as the psalmist, humility before God. Praise God for creating us, being mindful of us and giving us significance in his world. Now, the significance of humanity in God's purposes also means that we shouldn't tolerate the lie that mankind's just another animal. The life of Harambe, as terrible as it is to say, is not interchangeable with a child's. I'm sorry, but if you think that way, repent. It's wrong. Humans ought face a punishment for murder, but shouldn't feel bad about swatting a fly or setting a rat trap. These things are appropriate. A lot of people today, and I think just increasingly as we go forward from here, are living confused and guilty lives over this stuff because when they go to buy some meat off the shelf, they've got nothing to tell them that their life is more valuable than this piece of meat. Why should this cow have died for the sake of my appetite and preferences? And the weird thing is that people will take up veganism for that reason, yet they'll open up a can of tuna for their cat. Now, we don't need to feel guilty. Mankind has a significance in God's purpose. We are to, in a sustainable way, subdue the earth and receive all things with thanksgiving as a gift from God. We have the truth and we can live freely before it, uh, because of it. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying, just quickly, I'm not saying that you can't be a vegan. Uh, go for your life. There are real and responsible reasons why you might choose that lifestyle. But don't choose it because the life of a cow is just as precious as the life of a human. That's a lie. Now, shall we go on unpacking the implications of mankind's significance? I've got two more. First, treat each other with the dignity God has given each and every one of us being made in his image. Don't fall victim to the thinking that there's a justified inequality between human beings, whether it's male, female, whether it's this race or that. We don't believe in natural selection as a basis for our significance. We believe that God gives us our significance and it's because we are made in his image. 
And so we should care and be mindful for all humans as God is. We should advocate for the vulnerable. We should treat those in society who are viewed as lesser and weaker um, as our equals. And please, please do not consider another human being lesser because they have or haven't got the jab. Ridiculous, right? Finally, God has given mankind great responsibility. Great responsibility. Mankind is made to be the ruler over all creation. And just like how the buck stops with the CEO, who's the manager of the company, so the state of our world and the evils done within it, the buck stops with us, the ones who are left in charge. So don't shake your fist at God for the state of our world. It's our doing. Which leads me to the second point that the preacher draws out for us. Humanity has failed to rule God's world. Verse 8, he says, Yet at present we do not see everything subject to them. Look around, says the preacher. Does it look like everything is subject to humanity? Does it look like we rule over all things in creation? What's going on here? Now, did you notice, I don't know if oddity is the right word, but did you notice the oddity in, in the quote from Psalm 8? Look at verse 7 again. You made them a little lower than the angels. And no doubt the preacher's audience knew this psalm really well. How can it be that humanity are the ruler over angels? How can it be that we should listen to Jesus, this human, if angels are greater? Now it is clear from this passage from Psalm 8 that angels are greater than humanity in some sense. So what sense is it that humanity are lower than angels? It's not because of God's mindfulness of them. It's not because of their place and position in the world. It's not because of the life to come. This world to come is for humans, not for angels to rule. I take it, it's because of their mortality. In Luke 20, Jesus says something interesting. He says, one day humanity will be like the angels because, he says, we'll be raised to life, never to die again. We'll be immortal like the angels. You see, there is a whole tragedy wrapped up and contained in those few words of verse 7. You made them a little lower than the angels, mortal, subject to death. Why is it tragic? Because mankind weren't meant to be lower than anything else created. It isn't right that mankind should be subject to angels or death, for that matter. You see, in the garden of Genesis 1 and 2, God placed mankind as rulers over the earth and he gave them free access to eternal life. There's no death in the garden of Genesis 1 and 2. But in the garden of Genesis 3, mankind rebels against God's ultimate rule. They throw him off. They, we, sought to be ruler over ourselves as well as everything else in the created order. We threw off God. We don't want you as our king. We want to be the center of our own universe. And the punishment for this was and still is death. God punished mankind by banishing them from the garden, cutting them off from eternal life. And so mankind were made lower than the angels, becoming subject to death. And the world which we ruled shared our fate. 
subject to frustration, subject to death and decay. The CEO went bankrupt and the employees lost their jobs. Now take a look at how twisted and distorted, there's just a little example that's, that's interesting to draw out from verse 14, halfway through. So that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. There is a fallen angel named Satan who holds power over us, the power of death. That's tragic. Mankind is not what it should be. The whole order of how it should be turned upside down. The very presence of our mortality, the presence of death in our society, and these last two years it's been very present, is a constant reminder of our failure as humans. It's jarring, this experience. But that's the reality of our experience today. Verse 8. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. It's a tragic reality. And it gives us the explanation for why there's suffering in the world. And an explanation, explanation for why our experiences in this world cause us to doubt God's promises. It's our rebellion against God which has broken our relationship with him. It's our sin which has spun this world into death and decay. But not spun it out of control. Because there's hope. Did you notice that glimmer of hope in verse 8? Yet at present, at present, we do not see everything subject. And there is a future hope for us in the midst of our failure when we consider Jesus. And that's the preacher's final point. Jesus is the true human who saves humanity to a glorious future. Verse 9 is the key verse of all of this. Underline it if you've got a pen and you do that. Because the author of Hebrews, he pulls all these pieces together. He's done a bunch of quotes and he sharply fixes our attention on Jesus and says this, verse 9. But we do see Jesus who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor. Very familiar language. Because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. The preacher of Hebrews, he says, Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of what it means to be human. Jesus is the king of, of Psalm 110 because he is the human and the fulfillment of Psalm 8 and Genesis 1. Now let's take it apart slowly and read verse 9 again, pausing to make little comments because it's packed full of goodness. So verse 9, but, but we do see Jesus, Jesus, this Jesus who was made lower than the angels. This is the mystery of the God-man, when God took on human flesh, the Son of God, the divine second person of our triune God, took on our humanity, our fallen humanity, took on that mortality, our failed state. He became human when humanity was at an all-time low. This Jesus, read those words again, who was made lower than the angels for a little while. He was past tense, and only for a little while. Because, keep reading, now 
It's a bit funny. You can insert the words he is. Now he is crowned with glory and honour. You see, at present, we are not crowned with glory and honour as we ought. But Jesus is. Jesus sits enthroned at God's right hand, fulfilling what it is to be truly human. Jesus succeeded where we failed. How? Keep reading. Because he suffered death. 2,000 years ago, a man named Jesus suffered death by crucifixion. And we are told that because of his death, because of that death, God raised him to life and exalted him at his right hand. He has truly been crowned with glory and honor. But why? Because of death. There's nothing special about dying, is there? Everyone dies. Everyone will die. Not everyone's exalted to God's right hand. There has to be something particular, something special about Jesus' death that would mean he would be exalted. Jesus was crowned with glory and honor because he suffered a death which was not his own. He didn't deserve it. You see, Jesus was the perfect man. He lived out Genesis 1, humanity, even in the trials and the brokenness of this Genesis 3 world. He lived a human life, always in submission to God. He never sinned against his father. He never rebelled. He never fell. He never failed. And yet, he faced the punishment for mankind's failure. He suffered death. His death was a one of a kind, never to be repeated. And his death was so worthy of glory and honor because look at what it achieved. The final words of verse 9. So that, big purpose, so that, By the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. This is the purpose for Jesus being made lower than the angels for a little while. To take on humanity, the failed humanity, the mortal humanity, so that he could die. This is why Jesus will be praised forever in eternity in heaven because he tasted death for everyone. Friends, it was for us that he died. He died on our behalf for us, the guilty ones who deserve that death. He tasted death so that we don't have to. And I'm not just talking about physical death. This is spiritual death, the death that is fitting for a sinner, eternal death. Jesus tasted that kind of death the death of a sinner, so that everyone might have the opportunity to taste eternal life instead. And so tonight, it is great news for all of our failures as a race, not living up to what God intended, for all our failures as individuals, not living up to what God intended for us to be, for all our failures, full stop, which would make us deserving of death. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, a human being, our Savior, died a death that can be for everyone and anyone who would come to him. Friends, we cannot look around at the world today without realizing something is amiss. Everything's broken. Death is all around us. It's, it's not natural. It's not natural. 
It's not as it should be. And we cannot look at ourselves without realizing we are broken, just like the world around us. And in our brokenness, we cannot think of ourselves without thinking of the need to be saved, to have a saviour. But there is a salvation for those who would take it up, a salvation which is by a human being for human beings. And there is a new world to come, a glorious one, one in which we'll be remade without our failures because it will be and we will be made perfect like our Saviour Jesus. And we'll be brought up to where Jesus is, glorified with our brother, ruling over the world to come alongside him. We will be as we ought to be, glorious among God's creation under him. Now, how, how, do, how, do we, how do we grasp that? How do we take up that offer, that salvation? Repent of your rebellion against God and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Friends, we all have a choice tonight and every day. Die our own death, which we deserve, or claim Jesus' death as your own so that you don't need to die and you can live. Which will it be? And for those who have made this choice and make it daily to make Jesus' death my death, he died for me on my behalf, then what do we do when our experiences in this world cause us to doubt God's promises? First, we remember the time we're in. We live in a fallen, broken world. We are fallen and broken, disappointing ourselves, hurting others around us. And you know, there's something really comforting about God's word on this, that he speaks to the brokenness, doesn't try and sweep it under the rug like we do so well with social media. No, no, there's a problem. The Bible is very frank about that. And there's a solution too. God has saved us from this brokenness in Jesus. So we remember the time we're in and we remember the time to come. We fix our thoughts on Jesus, who is crowned with glory and honor. Remember 3 verse 1, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, this Jesus who succeeded where we failed, the only human being who has fulfilled what it is to be truly human. But he won't be the last because he died a death which was for everyone and everyone who claims his death as theirs is brought into that same glorious rule and that true humanity with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what is man that you are mindful of him? It is so easy for us to think of reason upon reason why we fail your plans and purposes for us on a daily basis. But you are mindful of us and you have sent your son Jesus to live the perfect life and die the death that we deserved on our behalf so that we might be crowned with glory and honor with him. Father, we thank you for your grace, your grace in creating us in your image, your grace in giving us a great purpose to rule under you and your grace first and foremost in Jesus who saves us. We pray that you would uh, cause all of us to put our trust in him every day, to never drift away, uh, but to always take Jesus' death as our own and not neglect this salvation.
We pray this in, his son, in your son's name. Amen.